Well, this morning I want to continue on our theme of hunger. Hunger is such an important thing, and it typifies the characteristics of a true believer in what God is looking for. It, a, a hungry person is the person that God is looking He's roaming the earth looking for hunger. He's roaming the earth looking for those hungry souls that he can fill up with his goodness and his grace. God loves hungry people. He loves hungry people because that's the kind of person that can be filled. So this morning, I want to continue to speak about what it means to be hungry for everything that God has to fill us with. And today, we're going to examine a little bit more about what it means to be hungry in the way that we believe God's Word. Now, this may sound like a very basic, simple message, and it is. But at the same time, I think we're going to hit on some concepts of what it really means to believe. What does it really mean to believe? Have you ever thought about what it means to believe clearly? Our text for the day is John 5, verse 24. It says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. This passage gives us so much hope. This passage gives the Christian so much encouragement that we would, by just simply hearing and believing that we can cross over from eternal death to eternal life. It's a simple little verse. It's a simple little message. The problem, though, in many in our day, they, they read the verse this way. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. What's missing? How did I misquote that passage? What's, what's different in the second time I read it? Does anybody know? Somebody shouted out, what's missing? You mean I have to believe it's more than just hearing? You mean I just can't come and sit in the church service and hear the word of God and be a Christian? No. There's more to it, isn't there? And I want to talk about that this morning. I want to understand what does it really mean to believe? I'm concerned that many Christians today, many people believe that meaning, that, that believe that what we believe doesn't mean exactly what God thinks it means to believe. That maybe we have a different version of what it means to believe. And I'm really concerned that we would understand it. Is it really enough just to believe in God and Jesus? Is it really enough just to hear the word, I believe, that Jesus died on the cross? Is that really all I need to do? Well, what does this verse say? What does this mean to you? James chapter 2, 19. You believe there is one God. Good. Even, even the demons believe that. And they shudder. What does it mean? What's the difference in believing that gives us salvation and eternal life and believing that leads us to shudder? It's pretty evident that the demons believe in God. It's pretty evident that they knew Jesus died on the cross. And they even know why, they even know why he did it. But is their believing doing them any good? Is their believing leading them to anything good in life for them? And at the same time, there are many scriptures that tell us all we have to do is believe. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And then Romans 10, 10 and 11. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. So clearly... There are mandates in God's word that we are to believe God's word. But are we truly understanding what God is intending to say when it means that we are to believe? Because if the demons can believe and shudder, that makes me wonder, what, is a, what do I have to do to believe? What's the difference between their belief and my believing? We live in an era today, a world of easy believism. Where anything goes, we're so concerned with saying anything that isn't politically correct, 
that we might offend someone in what we say. We're so careful that we measure every word and that we say that we're just, everybody just believes. Everybody just, God loves everybody. God loves everybody. And everybody is just as the easy mentality of Christianity. And it, it sounds so good. It sounds so good. Well, I just want to say here this morning that if it is important that we understand the difference between believing as a demon that shudders and believing as a person that enters the righteousness in the kingdom of heaven, I think it's important that we understand the difference between the believing. Are you believing the right kind of believing? Where are you this morning? And I, I want to examine that this morning. I want to go into that this morning. So if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, four the first three verses. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter. If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, we spoke about this on Wednesday night, and, and we just kind of touched on it. And I want to get more into depth today on it, because it was really a, a great study Wednesday. We had a great time. How was Abraham's believing leading him to righteousness any different than a demon's believing leading them to shuddering? What's the difference here? Was it because there's something special about Abraham that God declared him righteous because Abraham was special in his own right? Do you think Abraham had to put his robe on one foot at a time? Do you think he had to put his sandals on one at a time, or did he just jump up and all of a sudden the sandals appeared on his feet? Was there something special about Abraham? No, Abraham was just an ordinary man. It's just like you and I. You know, i got to take a little caveat here for a minute because, you know, it is so easy. <laughs> it is so easy to sit here and talk about Old Testament people or any Bible character in any way, shape, or way, any shape or form here that, that when I see him in heaven, I'm going to have to apologize for. <laughs> you know, I said one time that Peter was a, that, that Peter was a blowhard. Yeah, I said that. And Peter's going to look at me and say, Mike, what would you call me a blowhard for? You know, I mean, we say things that we so easily will criticize or put on pedestals, the heroes of the Bible. But, you know, they were no different than you and I today. They're just men. They're just women. They were just people. They had the same issues that you and I have. Maybe a little different in the context because of the technology of the world, but yet they're just people. Abraham was no different than Herman or Wayne or Paul or Dawn, even though you're a woman and he was a man. You know, you know what I mean, right? He was just an ordinary person, but yet God saw something in him. And so this morning, I, I want, before we go any deeper, I just want you to understand that you and I today are responsible to believe just like Abraham was responsible to believe that brought him righteousness. You have the same responsibility in your life to bring righteousness to your life. So as we, go, as we dig into this, pay attention here. There's some good stuff here. There's some very important truths of God's word that we're going to uncover, I believe. So what does it mean to believe? Biblically, what does it mean to believe? John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to to become children of God. Now, the Greek word translated as believed in this passage is pisteo. I think I'm pronouncing that correct. Pisteo. And it means to believe, to put one's faith in, to trust, with an implication that actions based on that trust may follow. We talked about it in Sunday school. It's so awesome how that was just lining up. Believe is a verb. It's not a noun. It is not something, as Janine said, you put on a shelf and look at. It is something that we live out. We move in it. It is a progressive word. To believe is an action. It's something that we live out on a daily basis. And of what one does proves what you believe. Your actions prove your believing. Think about that. How have you acted this week? 
What have your actions shown to others about what you believe? Boy, that's a personal question, isn't it? It's a powerful question. Believe is a word, thanks Greg, a believe is a word that demands action. It demands action. If it's going to be a, if it's going to be a believe that's going to make a difference than just shuddering, <laughs> it demands action on our part. The Bible commentary says this about what it means to believe. The verb believe is faith in God that is practical and active. Believing in true biblical sense is not just a mental exercise. It is an act of faith that yields the leadership, listen to this, that yields the leadership of one's life to Christ. It's transferring leadership from me to Christ. True faith reveals that continuing trust, that continuing trust through selfless action, obedience, and service. If I'm going to believe, what it means is I'm saying, Father, you're now in charge, and now I'm going to prove out my belief to you because I'm going to be selfless in my acts, I'm going to do service, and I'm going to obey. So to believe, one must do more than simply just hear. They must put action to what they hear as proof that, number one, they first heard it all, and then secondly, that they believe in what they heard. Romans chapter 2, verse 13. Romans chapter 2, verse 13. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. It is just not those that come into church and hear the message that are declared righteous. No, it's those that go out and hear it, believe it, practice it, put it into action that week. Those are the ones that are declared righteous. Believing is more than just hearing. This is the way Abraham believed in God, and what was the result? Go back to the text, verse 3. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as what? What is righteousness? Read the second half of John chapter 112. We just read it. What's the second half of the verse we just read? John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So a righteous person is a person that has been given the right to be a child of God. Righteousness can be defined as being in right relationship with God. Very simple. Righteousness can be defined as being in a right relationship with God. It's not a perfect person, meaning that person hasn't sinned. Jesus was that person. I'm not that person. I know you're not that person. I know it. <laughs> and you know I'm not that person. So how do I get that relationship with God? Through the imputed righteousness of Christ. It's not a perfect person. It's a person that has sinned but made, been made right with God by, by his act of repentance, the person's act of repentance, and God's forgiveness based on that person believing in the shed blood of Christ. The perfect life of Christ, the, the, the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and why he went there in the first place. He didn't go there because of his sin. He went there because of my sin and your sin. And because he died on that cross, a perfect sacrifice, now I have redemption of my sins, and so do you. I used to have a real problem calling myself a righteous man. I really did. I had a real problem with that because it, it, because it seemed to imply to me that I was perfect or that I was better than somebody else. That's not true. The enemy played games with my mind because you know what a righteous man does. What are the prayers, how effective are the prayers of a righteous man? They're powerful. The effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man are powerful. And if I don't see myself as righteous, then my prayers aren't powerful. So it's important that I understand that righteousness is important for me to see. I need to see myself as righteous before the Lord. When I understand that righteousness isn't a state of perfection, when it's not a state of perfection, when I can realize that it's really just a continual act of believing with a focus on repentance and God's forgiveness, see, that lifts the burden of perfection off me. 
I don't have to be perfect anymore to be a righteous man. I just need to be forgiven. I just need to, be an, I just need to know that I'm a man that made mistakes and I continue to make mistakes and I continue to come before God repenting and, and asking for forgiveness. And when I have that, I have the righteousness of God in my life and therefore I am a righteous man. A forgiven man is declared as a righteous man, meaning that he is in right standing with God and empowered to continue to live right according to God's standards. Listen, it's so important. We understand a righteous man is in right standing with God. You are in right standing. God looks at you in a right position because the righteousness of Christ is now placed on your life because if you put on Christ when he died on the cross. And now that I'm in right standing before, I'm in right standing with God, now I need to be empowered to continue to live that way. And I can be through the power of God according to God's standards opposed to a self-righteous man, self-righteous man, is a man that is in right standing with himself and lives according to his standards, thinking that God's going to be okay with it. What's the difference between a righteous man and a self-righteous man? A self-righteous man's okay with himself, and he's living to his standards, which are a subset, clearly a subset of God's standards. And then we're thinking, God, you're going to be okay with it. Let's go back and talk about what it means to believe again. Romans chapter 4, verse 18 through 21. Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said, just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Believing is not wavering in unbelief. I don't care how old. Abraham didn't care that he was 100 years old. Abraham, Sarah, was just as old. He had a promise. God had promised that he was going to be the father of many nations. Here's a really good definition, another good definition of what it means to believe. To be fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he promised. When I believe, now I am persuaded. Nobody's going to doubt, nobody's going to shake my faith. My, I'm not going to waver in unbelief because I'm persuaded that God has the power to do what he promised to do. Man, that is a good way to believe something. That is a good way to, to get action. When a person has that kind of believing faith that is active, alive, and fresh, understand here, God will come through on what he says for that kind of person. That's, what's, that, that's what believing is all about. An active believing, an active believing that God will do what he promised. That God says he will do what he will do so that now I can do what I need to do. When I can believe that God's going to come through in his promises, it gives me the confidence to do the things that he's asked me to do to make those things happen. It's kind of like a perpetual motion machine. What, or the chicken or the egg, what happens first? Does God give the promise first or do I do my actions first? Or do we do them together? No, as they come together, it's like a, it's like a mesh uh, the way uh, two cogs meet in a wheel and how they mesh together, and when they come together, now all of a sudden the cog turns, right? That's what faith and action's all about. It's not my, it's not one doesn't lead the other necessarily, but they come together. That's what it means to have the kind of faith that Abraham did, and thus he was called righteous. And we can be that same righteous person. We can be that same righteous person. When God looks at a man, he's looking at the heart, and when he sees a believing man by the definition that we just described, he sees a righteous man, and God's hand will move on that man's behalf. You want to move God, then you be righteous. You're not going to move God by your need. You're not going to move God by how, how self-righteous you are. You're not going to move God about all the things that are wrong with you. No, there's a lot of things wrong in this world. We live in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. That is not God's fault. 
If you want to move God, you don't move God by your need. You move God by your righteousness, by your believing in him, by your taking him at his word to say that I'm actively going to believe, God, what you're saying, and here's my proof. I'm going to step out in faith knowing that you're going to do what you said you're going to do. That's what moves God. When God sees you to start making that step before that next step's clearly in your mind, you start making that step right here, God's faith comes through. So when you fall, when you take that step, you don't fall. But if you're not willing to move, what's the point? What's the point if you're not willing to move? You must pick up that foot. You must start. You must believe it enough that you're going to take that step. And when you step out in faith, God answers. That's the kind of man that moves the heart of God. Amen. Pat? That's right. You have faith that that parachute's going to open if you're going to skydive. I want to make sure who's ever packing that parachute knows what he's packing. And I want to make sure he's going to pack it better than I am going to pack it. Right? Because I want to make sure that shoot's going to open. And that's like, that's like faith in God's word. I can have faith that God is the packer of the parachute. Good analogy, Pat. So be that man. Be that woman. But let me ask you, why is it so hard sometimes? Why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult when we're walking out of this building and living Monday through Saturday? It may seem easy now where we're sitting in this building right now. We're sitting here. We're all comfortable. We say, yeah, that's me. But tomorrow or Thursday or Friday or whatever, all of a sudden it gets hard to believe. Why is that? Why? Well, we have an enemy that has been bringing a challenge to this thinking of believing a long time. He's been working at this for a long time. What was Satan's first lie to man as recorded in Scripture? What was his first lie as recorded in Scripture? Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. You certainly will not die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. His first lie, his first words out of his mouth were a lie. First of all, understand this much right now. Satan does not have the right to judge who's going to die. You know that. He doesn't have the right. He doesn't have the power to do that. So I'm not giving Satan glory here, and I'm, not, I'm, and I'm not giving him honor in this statement. I'm just trying to show us the fact that we have an enemy who is against us, and that he will do anything he can to tear us down, but everything he does is a lie. So why is it so difficult sometimes for us to see through that? The point is, we have to read what happened prior to this false statement of this lie. Go into your Bible, Genesis chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. Beginning at verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Hmm. When we read this, which we've read this numerous times in this church, I've gone, this is a very common passage, but... What's, what is Satan really doing here when he asks this little question? Did God really say? Did God really say? You're right, Doris. He put doubt in our mind. That's his, old, that's his whole point. He accomplished a major tactical strategy in his war against all of mankind from then on. And two things. Number one, he, in, he interjects doubt in the minds of people. And then number two, even if God did say it, did he really mean it? <laughs> is he really going to come through on it? That's what he did to Eve. It's exactly what he did to Eve. All Satan had to do was to, get, was to get her to question what she believed about what God said. Was all that she had to question to get her to go to the next step, step in his plan, and that is to take the bite. Satan plays the same tricks on us today by the way. Did God really say that you aren't supposed to do that? Did God really say that you are supposed to do that? God's not really going to judge people like he says he is. Come on, he loves everybody. God's not really going to judge anybody. That's just a scare tactic to get you to give more in the offering. 
That's just, that's just the way men manipulate you. God's really not going to do that. When you get to the end of the day, God's going to look and see how good of a person you were. And he's just going to say, come on, you know what? You, I made your eyes too pretty to throw into hell. That's the devil. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of game he's saying to us. And you know what? Many of us are believing it. Many of us are sucked into that thinking, did God really say that? Satan's strategies haven't changed much. Why? Because they still work. <laughs> he doesn't have to change. If it works, he keeps doing it. And he's been doing it for, for eons. See, once I begin to question if God really said something, or if he really means it, once I begin to do that, then I'm on that slippery slope of questioning and compromise. Once I start to believe that, or doubt what God says, or doubt that he really means what he says, I'm on that slippery slope of compromise called deception. What's this slope look like? Well, it's the beginning of rebellion. It's the beginning of a rebellious attitude in the heart of a person. This is the kind of person that will soon begin to manifest things like he'll, be a lack, he'll, he'll have a lack of submission to what God says or the authorities that are placed over him. This is the kind of person that will buck the system. If they don't like something what God says, then you know what? They'll work their way around it. If the door closes, they'll look for a window. They'll figure out a way around it. If they don't like it, they'll still do it anyways. They'll just figure a way to justify it. These are the kind of people that, that will argue and complain and whine and simply won't accept what God is appearing to be doing. They'll figure out something wrong with it. They'll call it fleshlier. They'll call it some name. These are the kind of people that will split churches. These are the kind of people that husbands that, that won't stand up to be the priests in their home. Dads, fathers, we have responsibilities to, to be the priest of our home. And if, if, if you really believe the fact that, if you say, did God really say that? Man, are you really supposed to be the priest of your home? Women, wives, are you really supposed to submit to your husband? Did God really say that? What does that mean? Children, do we really have to honor our mothers and fathers or can we just live the life we want to live? See, once we start asking those questions and start that doubt rolling in our mind and we get those justifications going, it doesn't make any difference what it is. Once we find ourselves doubting that we actively believe in what God is saying, it begins the slope of rebellion. And that something rises up within me and now my pride takes hold. And the scary part is, these are the type of people that think they're on their way to heaven. Go read Matthew chapter 7. These are the type of people that don't see it for what it is because deception is so real, the devil is such a good liar, he's got them convinced that they're going to heaven, and at the end of the day, there's going to be a great big disappointment. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that kind of a person. I want to know what it really means to believe God and really believe what he says is true and that he really means it. I don't want to question God's authority. I don't want to question his authority in my life and what's supposed to be happening around me. Go back to our text, John chapter 5, verse 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but is crossed over from death to life. He is the person that, that adds action to their believing. It's a person that adds action to their believing is the one that actually crosses over from death to life. But if I don't add action to it, I'm not going anywhere. Let me give you a simple little example. I have a bottle of penicillin right here. Now, for those that say you shouldn't go to doctors, I'm, I'm sorry, I went to a doctor. I have a tooth problem. Last week, I had a tooth that flared up in my top of my mouth, and, and, and it really was bad. I mean, to the fact that I, I took a cup of coffee on Friday morning a week ago, and uh, that temperature, that coffee hit my tooth, and I think my eyeball was almost popped out. I mean, it really hurt. It really hurt. Anybody ever had that, where you just get that root that just is infected? Well, it had an infection, and I have to actually have a root canal tomorrow night at 4.30. Anybody want to share a root canal with me? Okay, well, I'm going to have a root canal tomorrow night at 4.30. But here's the deal. See, this little bottle of penicillin here, the doctor prescribed this to me, that he said, take this four times a day. And if you take this four times a day, the penicillin will knock down the infection, and when it knocks down the infection, the swelling goes down. Those that saw me at the end of last week, you saw I look like a little chipmunk, kind of cute. 
Um, but he said if he, it'll knock that infection down and it'll take the pain away. So I did what I was told I want. I bought the bottle of penicillin. Now here's the deal, though. Just having this bottle of penicillin in my pocket doesn't do me any good unless I put it in my mouth four times a day. I have to apply the penicillin to my body or it doesn't do me any good. I did the right thing. I went out and I bought the penicillin. I bought a new Bible, and I really love this Bible. This fire Bible, it is awesome. I love it. But just because I have it in my hand doesn't mean anything, right? I have to open the pages. I have to read it. I have to believe it. I have to have faith in it. I have to apply it. I have to learn what it says. If I want that, if I do that, that's the kind of faith that Abraham had. Abraham's act of believing in God enabled God to do something very special for Abraham that day. Open your Bible to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. It says, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. We already read that. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Read this very carefully. This is so cool. This is so awesome. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? It's the good news of who? Jesus. Abraham was born anywhere from 1800 to 2100 B.C. That's about 2,000 years before Christ even came on the scene. But yet here, because of Abraham's believing, God was announcing to him the gospel message of Jesus. Abraham was saved because he, was, he had the ability through God to look forward in his faith to the cross. His faith was a forward-looking faith to the cross of Christ because he announced to him the gospel of Jesus in advance. And then that passage goes on to say that those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That's you and I today. That's you and I. We're the people. We are the ones that are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Because what we need to do now is we need to take that same faith that Abraham had to look forward 2,000 years. We take that same faith and we look backwards 2,000 years to see Christ on the cross. But it's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus on the cross. So Abraham looked forward, we looked backward, and together our faith, our action of believing faith then results in salvation to us. Isn't that good news? And here's the most amazing part. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. For the joy, this is about Christ, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat, right, sat down at the right hand of the, of the throne of God. This same faith, Jesus is a perfect example how he believed enough of what his mission was that he could look forward with joy what was Christ going to be do? What was Christ going? What was going to happen to him right here? He was going to die on the cross. He was going to suffer like nobody's ever suffered for you and I. But yet the word says, "For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God." See, this act of believing allows us to look both directions. I look back at the cross for my salvation. And then I look forward to eternity with heaven. And I can do it like Jesus did, even in the midst of the pain that I'm going through. Because Christ was going to go through some horrific pain on that cross. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. See, I don't enjoy living a painful life. But it's not about that. No more than it was about Christ enjoying the pain of the cross. 
But he had the ability, because he believed actively, he had the ability to look beyond the pain, and then he could see where he was going to be. He was going to be at the right hand of the throne of Father, just like you and I are going to be. So when I then take that believing, that action, that, that believing action, and I can then look forward now, like Christ looked forward, now I can look over the pain. I can look over my problems today. I don't let my problems dictate my future. I don't let my problems dictate my joy because it's because of that I can look forward and that looking forward gives me the joy to get through what I need to get through today. Do you see why we must believe differently than the way the demons believed? Do you see why our believing must be an active, continual process of putting God's plan before my plan? So important that we believe that, that there must be that active element of our believing that is ongoing and relevant every day of my life. And that brings faith and action together. James chapter 2, James chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. This is awesome. James chapter 2, verse 18 through 24. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Here's that verse we just read. You believe there is one God. Well, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions are working together, and that his faith was made complete by what he did. And the, scriptures was, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. There's that act of believing and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. It's an active combination of the two. Amen. Jackie, if you'd come, and we're going to start one. We're going to take communion in a little bit this morning. But as we prepare for the Lord's table, what better way for us to perfectly believe in the sacrifice of who Jesus was. Are you a believing person? Do you see believing today anything differently than maybe what it was maybe when you came in this morning? Do you see why we need to have an active faith, action, part of our believing? It's not just hearing the word. It's not just hearing this and then like a man that looks in a mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like. It's also in James no, we need to be able to apply what we're hearing this morning. We need to be able to see both directions this morning. Now this morning, maybe you haven't looked backwards far enough. This morning, have you ever really looked backwards and seen Jesus hanging on the cross for your sin? Have you ever really seen him hanging there for you? Maybe he was hanging there for your mom and dad. Maybe he was hanging there for your husband or your wife or maybe somebody else. But this morning, I want to give everyone the opportunity to see Jesus hanging on that cross for themselves. It's so important that we must realize that Jesus died for me. He died for you. And we need to be able to now believe that to the point that we take action on it and we accept it and we ask him into our hearts this morning. So I know that probably most of us here this, in this room have already done that. But I just want to give the opportunity again. So would you just, everyone just close your eyes with me? And would you just take some evaluation of your heart this morning? And maybe you've given your heart to Christ in the past, but maybe your believing hasn't been active. Maybe your believing has turned into a belief that I had a belief one time that I was saved. A belief and a believing are two different things. A belief is a noun. It's what you were. A believing is who you are. So this morning, if you're basing your future on a belief, can I challenge you this morning that that's not good enough? Can I challenge you this morning that you need to base your future on your believing actions today? It's not just what you believed. It's what you believe. So this morning, I want to just all just if we would, just take some time and do a little evaluation of our hearts this morning before we come up to take communion. It's never too late to start.
but it would be a shame to start too late. for you. Communion's for you if you can sing that song and really believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. If you can't believe it, then don't take communion. Because if you do that, you're just damning your soul. Because communion is that important. It is that vitally important to your salvation that you take it with a believing 
in Jesus Christ. This morning, do you want that? Do you want to be able to say that I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary? Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord Jesus, we just examine our hearts this morning and we just say, Father, I believe. Lord, if there's anything, if there's anyone here this morning that cannot say that, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just give them that faith to reach down and say, yes, you can believe it as well by just saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I repent and I go backwards. I go back to that small gate. And I want to come through that small gate that leads to that narrow road. And I repent, and I'm sorry. And now, because of that, it's that belief looking backwards to the cross that, gets me a, that declares me a righteous man. And now we can come into the table of communion, the fellowship of who you are, and we can say yes, yes, yes to Jesus. Yes to eternal life. Yes to fellowshipping today around your table. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. This morning, if you would like to participate with us, we'd welcome you. You don't have to be a member of our church, obviously. All you need to do is have Jesus in your heart. So this morning, would you come forward and just have fellowship together? Let's have communion together this morning and celebrate the cross, celebrate who Jesus is. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the beautiful part of this is that we don't have to be perfect to do this. Because if we're doing perfect, then, none, then nobody would be here. But we're doing righteous. We're doing a person that's been forgiven by the blood of Christ. That's why we're celebrating the table, because we're forgiven. So don't let that guilt of what you've done yesterday, if you've asked for forgiveness over it this morning, then it is gone. Understand that God no longer thinks or remembers what you did. If you've asked for forgiveness and repented of that sin, then it, God no longer remembers it. He chooses no longer to remember that. Therefore, there is no guilt. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So do not let that guilt, that pain, that heaviness, replace that with the joy of the Lord. Replace that with the joy that comes through forgiveness. Come a little closer. We like each other. I think. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this morning, as you hold up this cracker, recognize what this is. Somebody tell me, what is this? What is the body? Who, who was it broken for? It's broken for me. It's broken for you. And now we can apply this. It's like the Word of God. We're actively believing because we're applying the body of Christ. He broke it for us so we can have future life with Him. Amen? Father, we thank You for Your brokenness. We thank You, Jesus, that You died on the cross, that You went to the completeness of what it meant to be broken for our benefit, for our salvation. And now, Lord, because of that, we can celebrate it. So now we do in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake together of the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like active believing to me. That sounds like we're actively believing in Jesus Christ, and we do this until the day he comes because we're applying it in our life. We're taking the penicillin, if you will. That infection called death is being destroyed by the blood of Christ. We keep taking it, though. We keep taking it. I can't take it just one time. i got to take four a day. If that penicillin is going to work, I have to keep taking it. If the blood of Christ is going to work, you have to keep taking it. You've got to keep applying it every day. You've got to keep living in it every day. That's the proof of what you believe is by your actions. It's so important that we do it every day. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for what you did on the cross for us that day. And Lord, that happened then. So we look backwards to that, our faith and our believing, looking backwards, 
brings us an active faith today that allows us to believe, to look forward, and that is that we'll celebrate this day again with you someday, and that time, at that day, you're going to be serving us the drink. You're going to be serving us the bread. It's going to be, you're, you're going to be the one administering this. That is a blessing, God, of active belief, of active believing. And we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake together. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, before you go, let's just sing this one song, and let's sing it like we mean it. Thank you, Father, for your mercies and your grace. We love you, Father. We thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. morning we thank you for your mercy and your grace we honor you father we believe in you we believe with active faith and we thank you for your mercies and your grace and we cannot wait until the day we stand with you and before you in jesus name go with us this day give us a great day give us a great week lord help us to keep you always at the forefront and the center of our heart and our mind i ask this in jesus name bless us bless us i pray in jesus name Amen. Amen. Have a great day. Amen.